0: Welcome to Creative Scrap Coffee, hosted by Carol Lazarov and Dario Nuri. CGC is a platform where creatives and business professionals discuss industry topics, ideas and experiences. Today, we welcome our guest, Chris Stasiuk, the founder and creative director of Signature Video Group, a full service creative video agency. We hope you enjoy our discussion. So let us start.
1: Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, like kind of how you got into the industry.
2: For sure. So uh, we've been at this for 11 years in October. Um, I started this company like way back when I was uh, actually a corporate marketer. I was uh, a marketing manager at Boston Pizza. And so uh, there I was going to head office every day with my suit and tie and just, you know, it, it just didn't feel like the right fit. It was an amazing, amazing job at an amazing company, but just kind of wasn't getting excited to get up every morning and do the marketing grind. And so uh, I kind of just saw video on the horizon. Um, I remember reading an article while I was just like at my desk one day about this company that was doing just small business uh, video profiles. And I think they had done something like a thousand in the previous year. And again, it was one of these sort of like, you know, volume based, scalable companies that just finds freelancers. Are, Are they still around? What's that? Uh, is that company still around? Good question. I actually I haven't checked up on them in in several years. Uh, it I wouldn't be surprised if they're around in some sort of capacity, changing names or brands or or what have you. But uh, yeah, it kind of like my my backgrounds in communications before that. So it's sort of like you know the the medium is the message, and we saw in the fifties when there was radio, the dominant medium, and then television comes in and Blows it away because it's warmer and it's just more engaging and so I kind of felt that was happening with web video being more Accessible and this is this would have been 2008 or 2009 and so yeah video video was on the horizon so I said hey like I I've always loved making videos. Let's uh, let's try something out. So uh, I, I called a couple of my franchisees that uh, I managed I think like 24 25 stores and just ask them if I could come and shoot a spec, you know, commercial at their, uh, at their location. And uh, yeah, that was my first portfolio, a couple of free pieces. And uh, it's always funny to go back and look at those first few pieces. Like it's, uh, it's, a, it's another world away. Were, were you shooting
0: yourself or did you hire people? Because you said your, mar- your background was in marketing, but yeah. it, like to go from marketing to video production and actually shooting, it's a whole different ballgame now
2: for sure yes yeah. so i mean i've always kind of had a camera in my hand since i was a kid like always always the one doing video projects for school trying to get involved in video c- content uh, at boston pizza um on those first few shoots i did have a buddy that i had come out and help me make it look presentable because um, quite honestly i didn't didn't know how to do that at a professional level um but Yeah, learned a lot over the last uh, decade, that's for sure.
1: What's amazing is that you kind of started around the same time as the digital revolution, which is Mm a very unique perspective. A lot of people who typically now jump into the industry, come in when a lot of things have already kind of been established with this new wave of content creation. Yeah, like
0: when you said two thousand eight, two thousand nine is it was just starting. Yeah. For me it feels like it's always been around. But mind you, we've been around, we started around five years ago, right? So six it's, years. But yeah. it's five, six years ago. So it's we've we've been exposed to it already. So to hear that, oh yeah, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine no one was really doing
2: it to me it's a little oh wow, I didn't even realize that. It was it was crazy in hindsight though, cause like you know knowing what I knew about the history and just what I felt in my gut, I, I thought video was gonna be huge, um, but nobody else really thought that way. I remember when I when I quit my job, my boss was like, "So what are you gonna do?" And I t- I told them, and they're like, "That's that's not gonna work." Uh, see, my parents, my friends, you know, it's just it was it was a risk, right? Especially quitting a a really good job. Um, during the great recession which uh, you know we were just kind of entering in but i was like 24 25 years old you, you don't think about those things you just think you know i'm going to grow this this huge business right
0: that's that's what happened with us too when we when we first decided to get into it our parents had the same reactions they're like well my son's a failure i, <laughs> I failed as a parent <laughs>
2: there's no future for him now <laughs> For sure. But you just, you just know it, right? You just, you feel something in your gut. And uh, also it was a business that I could, even though the barriers to entry were a little higher back then, I remember my first camera was the Sony EX1. So I took out a loan to buy that camera off of (laughs) old school, (laughs) school, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, But yeah, it was a risk, but uh, I don't know. I felt like it was going to pay off. And uh, the the first few years were what I call the lean years, but uh, I mean, th- that's, that's any business, right?
1: You mentioned that um, you've kind of felt it in your gut that there is gonna be something happening with video. Was there any specific thing that you noticed in the industry or any trends that kind of led you to believe that this is a very lucrative opportunity for you in the long run? I mean, back then they had just released uh, the Canon 5D Mark II, which was, the revolutionary camera for its time to bring mm-hmm. uh, uh filmmaking and video production to the masses like was Absolutely. that magic potentially... lantern?
2: shoot it raw yeah
1: exactly so was there any specific thing that you noticed that kind of led you to believe that that's what you wanted to do or was it just purely like a gut
0: feeling from what you were saying and, and a follow-up to that why do you think no one else or very few others noticed
2: this well i guess like going back to the first question some of the things i noticed were again like cameras getting better and better uh and cheaper and cheaper youtube was i think 2005 was youtube right so it had been gaining some traction but um having having was while i was working at boston pizza you know i would go to a bunch of these commercial shoots and i would see this absolute show being put on you know, to, to make a national TV commercial. We're talking, you know, a location locked down for three days, 100 people cruise, just, you know, like the gong show of of making national ads. And I thought, wow, like, this is crazy expensive, and such a, such a spectacle to make a 30 second spot, I thought, there's got to be a a middle ground between like hiring, you know, a nephew to make a video and a professional production company maybe uh you know maybe there's like a middle ground that can be achieved and so that's what we tried to do right off the right off the bat
1: did you feel like it took some time before you started to get a foothold like how long how many years did it roughly take for you to kind of really establish yourself like i feel like now a lot of people can come out uh, and open up a business and be pretty established uh, within a year. depending I, I don't, on who I don't they know. know but I don't
0: know. But, Oh, depending on who they depending know, depending yes, on who yes. they
1: know, I'm saying like, if they have the right resources yeah. and everything uh, now, there's opportunity to be able to be established right off the bat. But back then this wasn't a proven model. So it obviously probably took at least a few years. Like how yeah. long did it take you?
2: Yeah, it took, it took probably three years before it started becoming more stable and what I, what I tried to do right off the bat is I tried to almost like commoditize what we were selling. We were trying to sell like these packages. And the reason I named it Signature Video Group is we were doing these small business profiles where at the end, the owner of the business, we would put a piece of glass in front of the lens and they would come and say, and this is this is my business. This is my signature. So trying to- trying to brand it a little bit and people loved you know signing their name at the end of the video and so as much as it was a small business ad for them it was also like oh the one with the signature so we were kind of trying to brand ourselves a little bit um and yeah you know i thought small businesses were gonna line up to get a video done and you know it took again when you also have no presence online you have no portfolio like you know, I was kind of starting completely from scratch. So it took a, a number of years. I took a part-time gig uh, serving at the keg at night. And and truth be told, in the third year, I almost, I almost didn't make it. We almost shut down uh, and I was, because there was just not enough revenue coming in. And so I was looking for jobs and I found uh, an agency that was willing to hire me as sort of like a, you know, director of content but um i convinced them to hire my company not me which still at the time was just me so give me it gave me that like runway to say you know what this i can keep this thing alive while still making a living and uh we got into some really cool projects with that agency and that led to enough momentum to uh to bring it back to life
0: yeah uh with with our company we found the same thing in the first couple of years what we were doing was yes we had the company and we were doing work through our company but we were also freelancing for other production companies and we we're also freelancing for other wedding companies right so in yeah. a way we had three sources of income and that was letting us keep the company afloat um but well then thanks us afloat it kept the, us afloat thing, yeah that's the right. thing
1: that we noticed was that and and this is what we've been trying to change over the last little while is that we were able to make sure that at least we were taken care of, but mm-hmm. then we noticed that the company was suffering. Technically, if it was just the company, it wouldn't have made it like you mentioned. Yeah. Like, uh, um, but, you know, like with now the whole pandemic and when it hit, we noticed, okay, you know, we have to really now reflect on how to build the business, like started from scratch, be- rebuild the foundation and make sure that we can it'll be uh, sustainable and has a good growth and, for the future. And
0: that's because that's we were looking uh, at our company more as us too that's how we were looking about it right we weren't weren't seeing our company as a business to grow and scale we were seeing it more as okay you and I are working let's try to make make some bread and live off this right so now our, our whole mindset has changed so we're, we're looking more towards the future
2: yeah this pandemic's been amazing for creatives and resetting their focus like I'm sure you guys find this you've spent so much time working in your business instead of on it. And you know, you kind of just, you know there's certain things you wanna do and you just either haven't had the time or you're just so exhausted after you've done your client work. And so, yeah, this has been an amazing opportunity to like almost start from scratch, right? You can kind of take those years of experience and put it into into your business for once instead of uh, just clients
0: yeah and I feel like we're in a fortunate position where we're still at a at a very small stage um, in our in our growth so we're able to make pretty drastic changes but I feel like other businesses that are bigger and more established um, they they might be uh, not as flexible in, in being able to do that so there's some companies that maybe might be hurting a lot and the the changes they'll make might either make or break them. How do you feel about that? Like, has your organization had to make any drastic changes?
2: Nothing too drastic. I mean, we're we're quite small and nimble as well. And and as much as I've scaled this business uh, to to grow to support other people, it's always been the goal to stay small and nimble because I think that's just the way the industry's moving. Um, and it's amazing what you can do with, like, a four- or five-person crew that rivals what you can do with, like, a 30-person circus, right? Uh, even two people. It's like, you know, two guys in a camera bag can almost make anything if they have the right preparation and the right creativity, right? So, yeah, Nimble's the name of the game. So we, have, we haven't had to change all that much we've just focused at least in the down months of making content for ourselves and growing our brand and you know reconnecting with with clients and building relationships and uh it's been fruitful for sure Mm
1: -hmm. being nimble really really kind of gives you a little bit of a nest egg especially when there's a lot of unpredictable things that happen especially with this pandemic luckily you know because we're nimble we don't have huge office spaces you know a list of employees that need uh, their salaries paid for so that allows us to kind of survive through things like this pandemic whereas other uh, companies don't and just to kind of transition now into this next bit um, how have you found uh, the pandemic has hit you since um, uh, since March, has it been challenging? Have you had to make any other specific changes for yourself?
2: Right. So I've been hit on two fronts, right? Um, first and foremost, our life has changed uh, dramatically because my wife and I had a baby. Uh, oh, congratulations. So, yeah. So April 20th, uh, our, our first kid was born, uh, a little baby girl. And so that's changed our world quite a bit just like with a baby so no sleep every no day. sleep since april what's that no sleep since,
0: no sleep april, since april
2: right less <laughs> sleep for sure it's like a waking level of alertness you know um so on that side it's been something and then of course on the other side the business side yeah we've seen we we were we were really scared in the beginning i thought uh first when it was, this was all happening i thought hey you know we're gonna fight this we're gonna be just fine and then, of course, when everything locks down, it's just out of your control. Um, so we we do quite a bit of uh, work with conferences and also tourism and so those projects either got postponed or completely cancelled and these are, you know, cancelled contracts. But what are you going to do? It's just the nature of what was going on. Um, but we also saw new opportunities um starting to happen so we did a couple of virtual um i guess events uh some things like supply chain walkthrough videos where normally a a a manufacturer would bring clients through their facility that's not possible now so they said hey like let's create video assets to send to these people wherever they are in the world and so we've seen a a surge in, in things like that so it's sort of like You know, one door closes, uh, another window opens.
0: Do you think that that door is the same size, though? Because it seems that we're going to be in this type of situation for the next two years. From what we've been hearing, it's like, okay, next two years, we're still going to have to be wearing a mask and everything. So, sure, new opportunities have popped up. But are they of the same quality and level as the
2: the previous uh, projects you had going on? So... They're they're just they're they're definitely less creative projects, but at the same time, because to your point, everybody predicts that this thing is gonna persist, right? Whether it's a year or two years, or maybe even long tail ten years, um, these companies are saying, Hey, like we we'll, we're willing now to invest into this kind of content because we know we're probably not gonna have guests visit this plant in several years. So um, and they want it to look good. And these are big companies willing to, it's, it's a major problem that they need to solve. And so they are willing to invest uh, in solutions that, that do the job, especially if they're a brand. And, you know, this video would go to like a very important customer. Um, we found they're willing to invest uh, a bit. I mean, who knows how... How, what the long tail effect is though on this this whole industry, right?
0: Yeah, I, I remember when it first happened, I remember telling Kirill, yeah, it's really bad, but I feel like this is really going to force um, every business out there to rethink their video goals. And I feel like before they would just say, okay, let's just meet in person, yada, yada. But now that you can't, everyone's realized the importance. And if yeah. it seems like everyone now wants it. And I guess the only challenge for us as, as as businesses is to convince them that the, the price they're gonna be paying is worth it because a lot of them don't know the amount of costs that are involved. And we've even had some inquiries where when we then send them a quote, they're like, whoa, what's this? And it's like, well, th- and we're not even charging that high, right? And these are pretty decent sized businesses. Yeah. So it seems like everyone wants it, but they, they don't know the amount of costs involved. So I feel like that's the biggest challenge for all of us. I feel like though that's been a challenge for for
1: many years is educating clients about how this industry works and the amount of money that is needed to make something successful. Obviously you're always gonna have uh, Joe Schmo who comes in with his uh, camera that he picked up recently who's doing
0: cheap rates. And those you know? are the worst because they really devalue <clears throat> the entire industry as a whole because sure, like when you're a business like obviously we have overhead costs but even just to provide a level of quality and not just send a one-man show out there it's going to cost some amount of money right but if a guy is you know he's just been he's just getting into it it's been a year or two and he's going out there and he's charging like 300 bucks for a full day shoot plus an edit and this and that those clients are going to get used to paying that kind of price right and it's just it's just terrible for all of us.
2: And it's not only that, not only are they willing to come out and do it for next to nothing, in a lot of cases, they have skills and they do a pretty good job. Um, so but it's it's kind of like pennywise pound foolish because not only are they killing, you know, that client for everybody else, they're also killing that client for their future self because that client now expecting that they can get that level of content for whatever price. Um, when they need to come back and do another video and that creative has kind of leveled up as everybody tends to do, they can't go and do the same work at the same price and they've killed that client for themselves too. It's so, you know, race to the bottom is, is a dangerous thing. So that's why you really have to set yourself apart with, you know, I, I think quality is maybe not, like quality is subjective. I, I think we're all making high quality stuff. I think it comes down to like, what... Can you solve their business problems, right? Whether it's, I need to sell more of this product. I need to retain staff longer. I need to recruit three top tier software engineers, like whatever it is. So if you can help them solve a problem uh, and and prove that you can help them solve it, they're, w- they're willing to hire you.
1: One funny thing I just kind of realized as we're complaining about these youngins who are coming <laughs> in uh, to... Try to get a foothold in the industry trying to build their portfolio they're charging not so much it kind of reminded me briefly of you know we were also at that stage so it's it's kind of like a balance you know like when you're starting out you do want to get your portfolio you want to try to get some good names on your portfolio list as soon as possible so you can kind of add some more credibility to yourself but i feel like it just there's there's got to be a balance somewhere you know luckily we built our portfolio when we were still in uh, university and we worked with a lot of student run organizations. So that's where the base portfolio came. And as you mentioned, some clients that we worked with, we charged certain prices and then as we leveled up, we 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 raised our prices and unfortunately we couldn't work with those some, clients. Some of them anymore. we've been able to keep working some of them. with
0: but it's you know what it's not even I wouldn't even put the blame on it's not their fault. Like it's, it's just not it's, it's not just how fault. it is. And again, like you mentioned there's lower uh, barriers to entry. So you're going to have a lot more competition. Kirill and I were talking about this on another episode, how uh, there's going to be way more competition going forward in the future just because the equipment costs less. And a lot of these people, they'll get that equipment and they'll level up their skills in the wedding scene. And they're pretty much like a decent shooter at that point. All they need to learn is basic lighting. But but because of that, sure, there might be a lot more freelancers out there, but there won't be a lot of business owners because even if there's like a 200% increase in the amount of freelance videographers out there. Realistically speaking, that would only be maybe a 15 to 20% increase in the amount of entrepreneurs out there. So I I guess it's just, it's just up to us to figure out uh, how to
2: handle this challenge, right? How to navigate it. And
0: that just comes down to sales at the end of the day.
2: Yeah. I mean, he who's closest to the client ends up winning, right? So, I mean, that's, that's number one. So, you've got to get in front of a lot of different clients in a lot of different ways and uh and of course like build strong strong relationships with these people and the truth is if you can solve their problems and you know if you're solving a problem that is worth a lot of money to them uh a lot of entrepreneurial minded decision makers um understand that and they're willing to you know pay a portion of that
0: okay so you mentioned something interesting about being able to solve the client's problem and i feel like as creatives we kind of do that with our um, we we do that both with our business mindsets but also with our creative storytelling right so how do you how do you find that balance between being able to solve their problem and also be creative and, and and do it through a story
2: element the whole thing reminds me of this albert einstein quote and i it's i'm paraphrasing but it's something like creativity is intelligence having fun right so it's just like thinking about okay first of all defining the problem that's what you've really got to do up front um and i find that a lot of um a lot of the times we we go in at least in the beginning we we went in looking to just make a video and you know deliver their key messages but it was making them happy but not necessarily providing value to the audience and so we kind of had our aha moment when we started making content for the clients' audience first and them second. Because if the audience doesn't care, um, nobody wins. Nobody's gonna watch. Nobody's gonna take action. So, you know, first defining that problem and then saying who's your audience, what do we need to make them feel to like achieve a result, uh, and then, of course making the content and then serving it to that audience. I mean, that's what it's all about. If, if, if the audience doesn't care, it's a non-starter.
1: I, I feel like that is one key thing as um, as a business owner and a, and a content producer is that you need to solve not only the problems that sometimes the clients come to you with, like we always wanna do that, we always wanna try to solve whatever immediate issues they have, but we have to, um, as as creators, we have to find what potential other problems they might have that we can also solve because that will help identify things that they haven't even thought of. And then that will actually even put you in a better light than, than, uh, than you would have originally. And I, 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 how do you typically go about trying to identify those other, other problems that, that could potentially be there like the audiences?
2: Yeah, I mean that's the that's the million dollar question, right? Usually somebody comes to you because they need a video and and that's what they think they need. But really what they need is they need more sales or they need new talent or they need to keep talent longer. So it's in that first discovery uh conversation, really just asking a lot of questions like it was your own business, right? And this this whole exercise during COVID, uh, you know, really kind of tone or, you know, tunes us into solving those problems. So it's, it's asking lots and lots of questions, maybe questions that get them thinking about their business in a way they haven't in a long time. And then they start to see you as like consultants, not just content creators, you know, you're creating content to solve their problems, you know, it, that that's the way you want to get them thinking. Um, so usually you're, you're creating something. You know, an initial video. And then uh, once you build that relationship, now you can start probing additional problems. Usually that's not off the bat, but uh, you create long tail opportunities that way.
0: I feel like one of the biggest challenges for us is we can create the content for them. And and lately we have been thinking more along the lines of, of what you just said, you know, long term for the client. Like, sure, we're creating this product for you. But what, what other challenges do you have? And maybe like, sure, you need this type of video, but, you know, sure, you might need this promotional video, but what about these other profile videos that sh- showcase uh, uh, your organization a bit more? That might also be helpful. But I feel like the biggest challenge that we run into is more on the marketing end. So we can provide the content, but we find that a lot of times the client's don't realize they need to put the same, if not more power into marketing it, right? So this, this has actually led to us kind of uh, trying to trying to create like a marketing arm for our company, right? So not only can we provide the content for you, but we can also help you market it. And I, and I think you uh, do provide some type of marketing services, right? was this was this because of um, the, the, uh, what you found uh, with, with these clients that they, they just didn't know how to market it?
2: Yeah, it's that's a good point, and that's one of the. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating when you make like an absolute cracker video for this client, and then it just sits on, you know, an unused YouTube channel, and it gets yeah. like <laughs> two, vid- views, two, like, three <laughs>
0: views. Yeah, they post it, it at Friday at
2: It happens more often than we'd like to admit, right? And so, but I do remember right from the very beginning. Um, we were focused on delivering results for the clients. So marketing was always something we did. I remember like the very first year I was in business. um, And Daryl, we talked about this before when I went like, I literally went door to door trying to sell video to like every business in my neighborhood, like vacuum repair man, like every restaurant. And anyways, I walked into a brewery and I, got really lucky i saw the right guy uh on the right day at the right time and anyways I, I pitched them this kind of campaign that included the you know the creative the production and also how we were going to get this out to their audience so it was like organic seating a little bit of paid distribution but all of a sudden now when you can start to guarantee eyeballs or guarantee um that this video is gonna end up in front of the people that need to see it clients are much more willing to listen because now you're
1: reaching their audience it's awesome that you've been doing that right from the get-go that's been a great business practice and probably you've been able to really evolve it and put it into a way that it actually works very well for the clients and you're also in a unique position that i'm a little curious about you've seen the evolution of social media and the social media marketing in this industry how has it changed in terms of how you uh, you create the content? You put it up, say Facebook, YouTube. You put the ad dollars through, and 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 it, and, it, and you get eyeballs on it. I feel like back in the day, it was a lot easier for people to see your content, whereas now, unless you have the a <laughs> huge budget, no one's gonna see the video. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's so true, right? And and uh, like, yeah, it's it's changed a lot how you how you reach an audience especially now with like the dawn of the influencer and just the amount of content that's being put out every day, right? It's it's an absolute avalanche. And so, um, but that can be part of the strategy. Sometimes it's, for example, bringing somebody with a bit of a social following into the campaign to be part of it. So you have a little bit of a leg up there. Um, Yeah, but I think that's what's going to change most about this industry. It, it It's like not just having an audience, but it's making authentic content. We can't just make what used to work even two or three years ago and just put a big ad spend behind it because um, one of their competitors might have hired an influencer or even has you know somebody who's savvy in-house and they're gonna achieve those results for a fraction of the cost. So it's, yeah, it's definitely changing.
0: Um, so you as a video production company, you have a marketing arm. Um, And I feel like do you think this is actually the 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 future of video production companies because it seems that most people that we've spoken to They're actually they're not doing a lot of work through ad agencies anymore. And if anything, they're trying to cut them out They're trying to go more independent. So do you think that? um, For video production companies the future is to become a marketing agency
2: Uh, That's a good question um and I I I don't know the answer to that. You know, I things have changed so much over the last few years just with the avalanche of content. I I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. I've I've got some inklings that it just because it gets easier and easier to make content, and um, I guess it depends on who your audience is, right? Um, a lot of the stuff that will companies will still hire professional companies to make these sort of like high-end corporate films because their target audience, their B2B audience is still, you know, older decision makers that are used to seeing a content look a certain way. But if your audience is, um, you know, Gen Z, for example, you can't just put a lot of money into a glossy commercial, like authenticity is is king. In fact, uh, you know, you're, you're probably looking at the wrong strategy when you're, you're trying to create like high gloss content and trying to force key messages down, down that tube.
1: I think what, I think, um, every few years, the, the, the thing that really drives and changes the future of uh, video and content creation is the release of new platforms. Like with the recent release of TikTok, that is one platform I'm a little reluctant to get into, but I know that that is something we're all going to have to really start to explore because Maybe our generation and the millennial generation are not um, uh, may not be on there as much yet, but all the the young people that are in high school or middle school that they're all on that platform and that's what they're going to use in the future. I, I disagree with the like, TikTok
0: bit. Well, I mean, this is what I'm noticing, well, right? Because well, they it's it's funded by the Chinese government and with the, with it, with how the the tensions are with the U.S. and the Chinese government, they're. Well, they're banning it already, and I don't know if you noticed, but Instagram adopted a lot of those features. It, it, they're kind of, they're kind of doing the same thing that they did with Snapchat, right? When Snapchat was really popular, all that Instagram did was it just yeah. it just copied everything and put it on their app. And now they're why would you go on Snapchat when you got Instagram, right? I hope that happens. I hope if you go I, on Instagram <laughs> now, it's it's kind of turned into TikTok in a way. Yeah, I I hope that I hope that happens
1: because then it just keeps everything centralized on one key platform. You know, I. I never liked having too many social media accounts. I'm just seeing this like I have two younger twin sisters, and they're about uh, 13 years old, and they talk to me about this stuff. They tell me about what's going on in their schools, all the <laughs> all the weird TikToks that that are sent to them, and I'm like, oh god, this.
0: You know what's interesting is that TikTok isn't even that 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 much um, far away from our generation, and yet it feels. So distant, because so we to we're, us. we're like the Facebook, the the Instagram, the Twitter generation, and TikTok just came out like a year or two ago, and I'm trying to still wrap my head around it. I think it's bizarre. <laughs> like it seems like it's Vine 2.0 from the looks of it, yeah, and yet it's being treated as something completely different. Have you explored it at all?
2: I mean, I remember grabbing a TikTok account like very early on because I'd been hearing about TikTok and like my wife works in media and so she said you've got to check this out and uh so i did and i was i was absolutely amazed at the the like level of entertainment that you can get from some of these videos right these these people people put a lot of effort into just creating just absolute value for the audience right um a lot of it's like look at me but there's some really incredible content creators on there and uh you know, it's it's a new way of reaching audience direct direct to your audience, right? No middlemen.
0: I wonder why it's doing better than Vine because again, it's short videos. Vine was six second videos. They were six second, six seven second videos, but yeah. I
1: think maybe Vine could have been just something that was a little bit early for its time. Potentially.
0: I heard the I heard the AI in TikTok is very good, so it's able to really uh, calibrate to your, your your personal liking very quickly. I think yeah, some people said within five or ten videos, it pretty much knew what kind of Co- content they they wanted to watch no. so i guess their their ai is their major selling point right
2: yeah and it's the user experience of the viewer as well right it's just so addictive to just swipe 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 and uh yeah the user experience is is just it's pretty enjoyable on on a platform like you know tiktok or as you mentioned instagram is now doing reels which is essentially tiktok in every way and yeah, it fills up your whole screen. There's no restrictions on how long that video needs to be. So, um, yeah, it just opens up opens up the floodgates of what's possible.
1: Vine's, I feel like with Vine, it was just a very bare bones platform. It was, its whole concept was just six, seven second videos. And there was probably no convenient user interface, which is why it had such a huge um, uh, initial uh, support and because that's probably what people wanted to see. People wanted to see short videos. But I think the the platform wasn't as intuitive as uh, the TikTok platform is. And so that's probably why now it's um, so popular and it's probably so easy to use that even youngsters are able to just kind of get on it. Like you don't see many of them on on Instagram or I mean Facebook is probably really dead. Once, like once
0: old people... Get on, get on, uh, get on uh, a trend. That's when you know it's dead. And there's a lot of old people on Facebook, so you know it's dead. Like once your once your parents and grandparents are on it, like if your parents and grandparents get on TikTok, that's when you know you got. That's when to you know it's day. time to go to the next <laughs>
2: that, that could be trouble, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I I think I did make uh I've got a I got a little dash hound and I think we did like an old town road, uh TikTok video with with him wearing like a cowboy hat and a little kerchief, you know, just. Just messing around, but I think that was that was the first video we ever put on TikTok. It got something like 2,500 views, which is not crazy, but from just having no content to that, I mean, I was pretty amazed by that. I do think that they, again, like these platforms are built to make you addicted to them, right? In every way, shape, or form, they're meant to kind of release dopamine, like a like a slot machine, and so.
0: It feels like it's so damaging though, because again, okay, if you're used to watching a five to 10 second video and that's now your norm. From a young age. From a young age. How the hell are you gonna sit through a 90 second promotional (laughs) video? (laughs) So yeah, even with our clients, like when they talk to us about, when they talk to us about creating like a promotional video and they're going like, okay, we want it to be kind of two to three minutes. We already tell them right off the bat, listen, you should be looking more at 16 to 90 seconds. And you know what? The other thing is, if I was one of their audience, I probably wouldn't watch past 30 seconds. Like we watch it because we create it and we're invested in it. But realistically speaking, who's gonna sit through that type of content? Uh, like it's it's gonna be an interesting thing for us to solve. In because the future, sure we're, we're yeah. pitching these videos, but at the end of the day, even our attention spans are short. So anything past like 15 seconds, first of all, I have ad blocks. So I mean, I wouldn't even be <laughs> watching it in the first place. <laughs>
2: Well, you nailed it too, right? I mean, again, that's coming back to value to the audience. If if you start out with making a video that's too long, you've already lost them from before you've you've even started, right? So, yeah, I think I think content length and format is gonna be forever evolving. But that being said, like short attention spans uh, aside, we found content that is in like that eight to twelve minute range perform really really well like we do sort of like um you know uh like basically cinematic docs for businesses about their customers or their people that work with them or partners or whatever Um, those tend to perform really well because especially if the subject is really interesting but uh yeah now the audience is getting some value out of it they get to spend some time with a really interesting person and
1: there's there's tears. Um, typically, these short ads, like if you're if you're trying to create an ad to promote something to people, that's when the attention spans are low because people know they're trying to be sold something. When you start creating content that has a story, uh, and has value, when you start, it's okay to make it longer because the people who are gonna watch, they're gonna watch it because they're interested. They're not gonna be like, oh, this this uh, branded doc is only. Uh, it's, it's, uh, 15 minutes instead of 13 minutes. They're, they're not going to care at that point. Yeah, if you
0: click on a 10 minute, anything past like five minutes, you're going to commit it. You're, you're committing committed. to some extent. I guess it's like watching a, like listening to a podcast. Sure. A Joe Rogan podcast could go to three hours. You might not listen to the full three hours, but you might listen to maybe 50, 50 to 70%. Right. And that's still like what? An hour and a half. Like yeah. that's still a good amount of time. Right. It's not a thirty. That's why Rogan one. just
2: got paid, right? Because people tune in and they they lean in and they watch intently, and he's got that audience for a long time. And again, it's va- value to the audience.
1: Yeah, no matter what it is, as long as you're providing value to the audience, whatever the content is, it, it's it's solving
0: that issue. But I mean, in terms of time length, it's pretty polar nowadays. Because yeah. you need you're either doing very short content. Or really long. Or really long. There's no like <laughs> in between anymore, right? So the. the or it's the, hard at least. Like the two, the one to two to three minute uh, types of content, it's kind of like, I mean, unless they're being forced to watch it, they're not going to watch it, right? And I guess the other problem we're also dealing with is, is like, again, ad blockers, right? A lot of people aren't even getting to watch it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, how do you guys deal with a client when they almost get in their own way with delivering value to the audience where um you've got a great idea and that you can execute on and they switch it up on you and they say well can you do this 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 and this which you know delivers less value makes the video not maybe as engaging how do you deal with a problem like that
1: well we typically try to communicate to them as much as we can you know we we try to let them know it's like hey what you're suggesting is going to change so many different aspects of the video. It's not going to achieve certain, th- if it, look, if it's a small change, then no big deal. I think deal. he's asking but about if it's big like, changes. Yeah, th- I know, no, I'm just, I'm just highlighting. Like if it's a small change, it's not a problem, but yeah. if it's a really big change where they want to ch- completely change the direction of the video, especially if it's last minute, that's the worst time. And I feel like that is usually when these big change requests come in. It's always at the last second, like a day before the shoot, or even sometimes in post where they're like, oh, can we just instead promote this instead of that? But the whole project was based on what we talked about in the pre-production. So we always let them know what what would happen if uh, they want to make those big changes and what it would cost uh, if it does cost more and um, what the results would be. And if they still decide to go forward with it, uh, we'll just do it. Because at the end of the day, the, the client's paying for it. The it's client's paying video. for it. We, we want to make them happy, you know, whatever the results, you know, at the end of the day, it's on them because we did our job um, as their vendors to communicate to them what those changes would yield. Um, and, and yeah, like just from there, you know, just to kind of help keep the relationship going and make I, them
0: happy. I guess at the end of the day, it's all about show, demonstrating to the client that you you have a certain amount of knowledge about the the project um, that that you're collaborating on, right? So if you let them know, look, we've been in the video space for this, this amount of time. We kind of know what works and what doesn't work. Th- I guess it just comes down to them trusting you, right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, maybe they might have stuff going on on their end. Um, we, we all know, like in a, in a corporation, there's a bureaucracy and they have people they have to answer to. And those people have people they have to answer to. That's we're usually not, it. We're not privy to those conversations. So we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And it's not really, it's not like we're making a film and we're a director and we got to fight with the studio to get this piece, <laughs> of, this piece of your soul into the film. Because the, like we're creating an ad at the end of the day. We're not creating pieces of art that will last like, you know, Decades. 50 to 100 years, right? Like it's an ad. It's going to be, it's, it's good today and it might be outdated tomorrow. I, so. I usually find that the um, our contacts that we're
1: in communication with they trust us yeah. and they understand what we're saying and as Dario mentioned there's other people behind there are, there are other people behind the scenes that are pulling strings or want things done a certain way uh, like I've uh, funny enough I've I've been accidentally cc'd on a lot of these emails <laughs> yeah. in the past where I would see a huge discussion between fifteen people and I like. And I'm just oh my god, the, poor poor uh, poor guy or poor girl just want to <laughs> just give us the information and just get it off their backs, you know. And like we we completely get it, you know. It, it's a business. We have to do what we have to do, and uh, that, that that's it.
2: Yeah. Everybody's got a boss, right?
1: Everybody's got a boss.
2: Yeah, and we their bosses have, have bosses. Of, we have lots of bosses. <laughs> and their bosses'
0: their bosses boss have bosses. shareholders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hundred percent, right? That's exactly
0: true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess another thing we want to touch upon as well is um, the storytelling element. How do you really uh, create a story when you're making an ad?
2: Well, I think a lot of the times we actually try to like. I think the story already exists somewhere within their organization. Usually, it usually it's a person. Sometimes it's a product or place, but usually it's about a really interesting person. Uh, And so the key is to not create the story. The key is to identify it and find it and like mine it out. Um, We did this awesome project a couple years back for Autodesk. Um, In particular, it was a software called Sketchbook and it's a sketching software. Um, And so rather than make an ad, what we did is we found some of the, most interesting and world-renowned artists that we could find that actually just use this software so the very first subject with this was this gentleman named ken lashley who's a bit of a living legend he's like a comic book artist and he's worked on every major property you can think of and so um we spent just a day with him at his home studio and just him talking about drawing and learning to draw and how he started with pen and paper now he's you know kind of an old dog learning new tricks where he's switching over to digital tools but just seeing him do what he does best which is draw and talk about what he's doing just while using this particular software in the background and that perf- that that campaign performed so well because it was authentic he's like incredible to listen to and um it worked out so well that they hired us on to do like five more of those with just different creatives because yeah, it was all about finding the right person uh, and, and the story kind of
0: told itself. One thing I do want to talk to you about though is scalability, because that's something that we're setting the foundations for right now. Uh, but it seems that you've been able to do it and your company is very successful. So um, how were you able to scale your business? Like first steps maybe.
2: Yeah. So, I guess my first step when, when it was just me doing a lot of this stuff. So I, you know, I had some people shoot for me, but then after that, I was doing it all. Right? I was I was selling it, pitching it, making it, post production, doing all of that. So the first step was bringing in people that were better than me to do those things. Like we we hit a quantum leap in growth when I just stopped doing the editing because. Um, I did an okay job, but I was just too slow. I would get too distracted. and so when we brought in professional editors, our productivity and also quality of work went through the roof and that just allowed us to to take on a lot more a lot more volume.
0: The editing always takes the longest because yeah. even with us, oh my god, like that that's one that's the first thing we outsource nowadays just yeah. because I can't spend. Again, I'm not the fastest editor. Kirill's way faster than me, but I can't but spend a then. week editing a promotional video. That's time I could spend on business strategy and, or, and growth. Or, or, out, or doing outreach to other clients. Like I, I think I remember as soon as we st- we started
1: first bringing on editors at the beginning of 2019, and right away we started noticing how much easier it was to kind of uh, let go of some of that, uh, some of that work. And... As you mentioned, it frees up your time so much to kind of bring in more business, and definitely we were on a on a good growth path since then. Obviously, because of the pandemic, things stopped, but even now, like with um, September hitting right now, we, I didn't think we would get to the point where we need to start hiring editors for some projects even now. But it's all, that need has already come up, and editors really help solve our our time
0: management yeah. because anytime we're editing. You're you're glued to a computer. You're and burnt feel, out. And I feel like you end up. It's almost like you end up hating the project because you're well, like, no, no, I, you don't just... wanna, I don't want to. I don't want to sit here <laughs> for like thirty hours like doing this. So you kind of go like, uh like because we we'd split it up. We we'd do it by turns. It's like so if Carol did it on one project, I'd do it on the other, and I'd go like, oh man, I really don't want to do this project because then it'll mean it's it's my turn to edit it. But now it's like okay, we're working on on producing and directing it, and someone else is doing it, and that person loves to edit. Yeah. So. The only time we take on any editing duties
1: is if it's a very specific type of project that we think only because we're so in, in, uh, in close communication with the client that only we can probably solve that. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely want us to also get to a point where even those types of projects, we can start relinquishing that to editors. But I think that just comes with time and finding the right people to work with. Like, how did you go about finding the right editors?
2: I mean, in the beginning it was like Craigslist stuff, right? Like just putting an ad out there and finding stuff. And it was like, my friend knows a friend who knows a friend who's an editor. And, you know, it started that way. And then once we started to build our online profile, we were lucky that a lot of talent comes to us looking for opportunities. Um, And then when you start to kind of level up with the people you're working with, you move into their circles of friends who are doing this professionally and you know, not only does, for example, hiring uh, freelance editors or contract editors or even bringing an editor in-house free up your time, but it also increases the quality of the product. If you have a really high-quality editor that um, sees things a little differently than you do, you tend up getting better work than you even initially expected. There's nothing better than sending a really high-quality editor great footage and a brief And they hit all of the marks that you'd hoped, but then they put a little spin on certain things. And it just, yeah, it keeps that creativity really high. And that's that's how you grow as well, right? You don't become stagnant because you'll find, you know, you've got a particular style and that's great, but it's nice to bring in aces into their places where maybe one editor is fantastic at like sort of long form doc, but they can't maybe sizzle or, you know, whatever. So it's about finding the best fit for that particular project.
0: it's so hard to to grow a roster of, of freelancers because we uh the editors we use now the they, they came uh we found them through people that have used them. So our friends Some at, of them. Good I think all of them to be honest. So one we got They've all Facebook. Worked, oh, was it through Facebook? Yeah like one or two editors we've worked with in the past we found
1: through um like a like an editor call on Facebook. It's it's really hit and miss
0: with a lot of yeah. Because we we put a call out. We we had like fifty applicants, and I think out of that fifty, one of them was was good. This was like this was like a few years ago, back when we started with them. And but even re- recently, we put another call out, um, and this we haven't been then... really located that many. There's like okay, well, out of out of I think fifty sixty, it was maybe three to five that were like okay, these guys might be good, but we still got to test them out. So it's it's so hard to find really good talent and I feel like a lot of times it's just like we ask people we you know it's like do you know any good editors Do you know any good shooters and they're like this guy's really good especially for that type of thing so so use them so, recommendations yeah, are the way to go
2: high quality where we found another quantum leap is when we brought a full-time editor in-house because that just increased our capacity to another level right we, we stopped worrying about you know this project rate versus this hour and then we could just start taking on all sorts of different opportunities uh, and not worrying about post-production, just knowing that that side of the business was completely handled. And it was handled really well with, you know. really good.
1: I think that's definitely one of the first things that any uh, production company in our position needs to think about in terms of scaling. That is probably the first role that needs to be filled because it just helps divide up the workload Mm -hmm. it helps even have someone as the head of post-production in a way right someone who can really help even uh, build the the type of style that a business has because a lot of the time you create the content that you create but when you bring in other talent the value that they bring is a whole new set of skills and eyes that you might not have even had with your own work like sometimes like sometimes I, i love seeing uh what Uh, our editors come up with when we give them the the footage and the project files you know to work with and then they send it back to us and we're like oh that's awesome I I don't we never thought about that we wouldn't I like (laughs) I like I look at it and I think to myself I don't think I would have made it like this because I didn't have that vision uh for the post uh or at least in terms of the style I mean it all depends obviously on this on the the project parameters of the and the scope of it you know like sometimes you have to there's a very specific script that you need to adhere to but then Most times I find, especially if you're doing event videos, there's a lot of, you know, it's up to the editor and how they put things together.
0: You know what, though? It it makes a lot of sense, too, because if you think about it, the post-production cost is almost the same as the production cost. Yeah. Even though it's it's not the same amount of people working on it. So like production, you might have a crew of anywhere from three to ten people and it's maybe for a day or a couple of days. But then that's still equivalent to like the final video product it's the hours that go into it.
1: Cause yeah. a, a full shoot day is like maybe eight to 12 hours, but editing sometimes can be 20 hour project,
0: yeah. you know, with all the, especially when there's a lot of revision. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> and that's one thing clients I think don't realize too, is that uh, a one minute promotional video might take again, 20 to 30 hours.
1: Depending. D- depending. D-
0: depending, but, depending on what it yeah, is. Yeah, depending on what it is. But on average, let's say maybe 10 to 20 hours. That's still 10 to 20 hours. The full shoot day was only eight hours. <laughs>
2: yeah and yeah it depends on how much raw footage is coming into that right i mean how many times have we shot for three days for a a 60 second edit right it's it's just crazy and so the the success of that edit comes from mining that footage even though you've got a shot list it's about finding the angle that works finding the the theme that works and that's where bring high quality editors and not just button mashers that people that actually know how to tell a story Um, it's a huge part of it. And then where we found another level of scale is when I brought in, um, like high quality producers, uh, and I've surrounded myself with you, like just people that can produce much better than I, because there's a conflict of interest when I have to sell something to a client and then make it. It's a lot easier when we've got a producer that's handling that side of the business. And I now just get to do the creative and worry about the audience as opposed to the client at the same time
0: what what do you mean can you elaborate on that a little bit
2: yeah so i mean we've got i mean you met sarah for example uh full-time producer absolutely fantastic producer that makes the client feel like they have no needs at all client loves them uh i don't have to work on that client relationship quite as much now i get to focus on the content so you know it's not a conflict of interest where i am i'm worrying about like the bottom line and this line item the producer takes care of all of that they basically they create the box for me to then create in and i think that's a huge piece of this business is having a box to create in because that's where we do our best work if you just give us carte blanche spin your wheels for eternity right but uh paint us into a box and we can make great stuff, great
1: stuff. Mm-hmm. do you find um so with this um with this other producer for example do you find yourself uh still selling at least for the business or do you think that your producer has taken on a lot more of that responsibility to find the clients and the business while you're still fo- while you're now focusing on the content
2: well it's like a balancing act right because decision makers do want to hear from the owner of the business so I'm certainly involved in those conversations, but um, like that first contact is almost never me unless unless like they've requested to you know speak to uh, to me right off the bat. But then they the producer can qualify that lead. But I think it's important to make a distinction between selling and advising, and that's what a great producer does. They're not selling anything. Usually, the client has come to us asking for you know, a quote or even just to do the project in with no competition. And uh, they advise the client on, this is, okay, this is what I think you should do rather than trying to sell them on something. that We found pretty strong growth from that. Being advisors, not salespeople. We always tell our clients there are no salespeople at this company. The people that are on this conversation are going to be the ones directly involved in making your content and that's where I think a lot of big agencies um, are in trouble because their whole business model is their very best people at the top they're the ones that go in and do the pitch like the a-team and then they win the business and then it's juniors working on the content so it's like a bait and switch and I think that even large companies they really they like that boutique service where um, it just, it makes them feel it easy. If they're going to spend a lot of money uh, and they know that we're going to be the ones taking it on and it makes them feel a lot better.
0: But but you, okay, so you just mentioned that you, you now have time to focus on the creative and sales, but your producer also focuses on, I guess your producer focuses just on the consulting part, but that's just if the client is reaching out to you. But then you just said that you don't focus on the sales either. So what, Who's doing the sales? No, no, no. He says that it's a balancing. They both kind of do it. A so you lot guys of the both time. do the sales.
1: Yeah, like well, it's it's. He said that the producer kind of does a little bit more of the um, consulting and the advising, whereas he um, focuses more on the content. But they do both balance out depending on the situation. Who is reaching out to? So, like, so do you guys reach out? Like what?
0: How how much of your business is uh, cold calling versus uh, referrals
2: or slash like clients reaching out to you? So for the last five years, we haven't done any outreach at all. It's all inbound marketing. So it's referrals, repeat business, and people that just find us on search or whatever uh, lists, and they come. They usually come to us. Now a lot of times we are we are in com- competition on a pitch, but um, by you know slowly but surely building a brand. Sometimes we'll have clients come to us knowing they want us to make their video not that they just want a video and that's those are the best types of clients because they already you know you've kind of put your ethos out there on your website or through your through your content and when they want to work with you specifically that's that's the type of client you can build a relationship
0: so when when you were first starting out you were more uh sales focused or, or oriented right so at what point did you decide you know what I'm taking a step back from sales. And I'm just going to have people come to me because Kirill and I, we're still at the stage where we're just prepping uh, for the initial stage of going out for sales. But I wonder if even when we get to that point where we have a lot of uh, clients coming to us, I wonder if we're we're going to stop that or we just continue to do that for scalability.
2: Well, it kind of happened organically, right? I mean, I, I don't remember if I actively made a decision to stop doing outbound sales or marketing or what have you it just kind of happened organically where five or six years ago like i've always focused on search on seo and i taught myself seo i still do most of our seo myself and five or six years ago we just started tracking on google where i think at one point we were you know one of the top three results for a pretty well searched term so People found us on Google. Our website was nice enough that it would convert them. And um, we got enough business from that that I could stop doing outreach. And now, you know, search is a big part of our of our strategy so that people can find us. I, I remember like I read this book years ago called The Man Who Sold America. And it was about this gentleman named Albert Lasker, who kind of like a pre-madman era this is like the turn of the century uh but he was like a godfather of advertising and he talks about this thing called staging the creative talent so it would start with he would have these account executives all over town in you know the sports clubs or on the trains or whatever they would find they would start conversations with potential clients They'd ask them about their needs. Okay, you're looking to grow your business. Great. You must meet Mr. Lasker. He's a brilliant admin. So he, this person would stage that talent to them. They would get this meeting set up. And by the time the client met this, met this man, they were already kind of pre-sold that he's a bit of a legend. Then he would come in and he would then stage his creative director. And by the time this client met that creative person, they were already... Sold. So it's just sort of you're we're not selling videos. I think we're selling talent. That's kind of what we've we've Noticed and it works, right? It's so much easier when somebody else vouches for you than you saying look at me Look at all this great work. I do right. Yeah
0: uh, one thing I wanted to touch upon is that uh, you're, you're still bidding for projects at times, right? So uh, what what do you find to be your biggest hurdle, and, and and also how do you, how do you handle the fact that they are not only coming to you at times, but they're also maybe speaking to an ad agency or other competition at the same time,
2: for sure. So, God, that's that's another million dollar question, right? How do you how do you win business? And the truth is, um, a lot of a lot of the leads we get, this is somebody maybe more junior that's been tasked with getting five quotes. And even if it's at a big company, um, that's not the best type of lead because usually you don't even get to speak to a decision maker before you've sent off a proposal. They're like, hey, can you just give us a quote? And we win almost none of that business because we're gonna be we're priced higher than all of those other companies they're getting quotes from. And so we're automatically thrown out. Um, but it's those like it's those bigger, longer term relationship clients that we can really win on. Like when we're, we're you have to be speaking to a decision maker before you send off a quote. Like, period.
1: That is typically kind of what you want. You want to build the you want to work with clients that you can have a long term relationship with. You want them to succeed as much as yourself because at the end of the day, when one grows, the other grows. Mm-hmm. And that's right. when uh, that's why it's so frustrating when if that's what you're trying to look for and then you have people coming to you saying hey, can you give me a quote and how cheap can you make it? You know that they're not looking to build a relationship with you. And it's almost as if you see that they're not giving you value. And then, you know, you know that that's also not a particular client that you want to work with. You want both of you to grow. You want uh, both of you to kind of, you know, allocate and put you, you want both of you to kind of put in the same amount of effort, you know, and, Uh, if, if they're just asking for, if they're bargain hunting, you know, that they're not going to be putting as much effort into that relationship as you would be. Right.
2: Yeah. And, and that kind of comes back to that point where this person just needs a video. Whereas if you can educate them that no, like a video is what you're getting, but what you need to do is you need to attract talent or sell more stuff. Right. And so usually you're not going to get that at the coordinator level, the person reaching out for the quote. So we, when we get those, we always make sure that we try to set up a conversation with the decision maker first before we even send out a quote and saying no has been the best thing for our business because it just frees up so much more time. Cause I, I, I remember like years ago we would, you know, you're not going to get this bid based on your price, but yet you still spend four or five hours working on this proposal. It's like, Oh, but maybe just maybe, you know, and you know, we just, those weren't working out. So getting in that getting that conversation with the people that actually understand the real problem that they need to accomplish, that's when you can start coming in as an advisor and having them trust you. And if you go into that conversation asking all of those questions, really curious about their business, now they start to see you as an advisor, not as a video guy.
0: That's true. Do you think there's a a... a, a p- you're priced pretty high for for the video production companies in the city do you think there's a cap between how much you can charge um and then past that point the companies would just rather go to a a bigger agency
2: so it's interesting uh we're kind of in that middle ground where we're the higher priced quote for you know video production company but we're far less than a big agency would charge right so we can come in and do something say let's say it's for 50k that a big agency would charge 250k with again all of those bells and whistles so at that part it's about educating the client that yeah even at 50k you can get something exceptional because they're just so used to spending those big bucks right and so you have you have to educate them that yeah guess what we're being disruptive and giving you the same output for far less because it costs far less. You go to a big brick and beam agency and you're paying for all of this real estate, lots of people's cool haircuts that you'll never meet. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think clients, especially now, this is going to be a beautiful thing for the boutique agency where um, service and and quality are, are going to be king. The big agency is is troublesome to a to a client that is maybe holding on to those dollars a little bit.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, especially now, like uh, you know, like not everyone has the uh, the big money to spend on on something that you can probably get at a boutique service. I remember a few years ago, I had a contact at one of the big banks in the city It'd tell me that they just uh, put out this national ad. Uh, they sent me the link and I saw it. It was a 30 second spot. You know, one of those like touchy feely, uh, emotional pieces, you know, had a good message, very well done. And they told me they worked with, uh, this really big ad agency. And they told me that it was, it cost them, I think at least half a million to a million dollars oh, wow. just for a 30 second ad
2: that runs for six weeks and then it's dead.
1: And then that's it. It's like, like that money is being wasted. Like, what is the value that is being provided? Yeah, people are seeing it, but what is the measurable value that is coming from it? It's very different. Like as if than if you were posting um, a thirty second, a sixty second spot on YouTube with certain audiences that you're targeting on there. That's the beauty, I think, of social media marketing. Though is that you can pick the types of people you want to see that content to right. Whereas, you know, the traditional form, you spend half a million to a million dollars on a 30 second ad, goes on TV, billboards, who's seeing it? Who's actually being prompted to do anything from it? So there's, there's definitely a huge evolution now in the, in the boutique service, as you mentioned, and I really like where this is going. It in seems the like there's
0: a big opportunity for, for a bunch of us uh, to maybe get some of the businesses that don't want to spend money uh, with the ad agencies, but they would rather maybe spend a little less and, and can come to production companies like ours that are also starting to offer marketing services.
2: Yeah, marketing service. Yeah, like that old guard, that those big, big budgets, the reason they get spent is because it's the status quo. They've been doing it for so long, they think that's what it is. Uh, so not only are budgets going to tighten, um, I think that as younger savvier marketers achieve decision making status at those companies as the boomers retire and they're replaced by younger people who are a little bit more savvy that's when you know again like say you went in house as a director of marketing somewhere and they said okay yeah we've got 300 to spend on this commercial and you say oh my god like do you know what i could do with 300k i could create years worth of content for this brand right and that's where the value is it's just I, I think that there's a shift happening.
0: But I think the the other thing we also need to be wary of is that, sure, they, they don't want to go to the ad agencies anymore, but I think the first thing they might be doing is creating their own in-house teams. And then yeah. they might take care of a good amount of the low-level production work, right? Because it, they don't need that much. I mean, they could just hire uh like a a videographer too and they could take care of all those low-level projects so they no longer need to go to the ad agency and they might they might just use them for some big projects or they might go direct to a video production company and use them for uh uh, higher level productions
2: i think there's an opportunity there though i i I tend to agree that a lot of brands are bringing production in-house um but it's expensive to do that you've got to have all of the gear you've got to have people you've and usually don't have somebody that can manage those people within that organization. So, you as a production company maybe have the opportunity to say, "Hey, rather than bring it in-house and spend all this money, look at us as your as an extension of your internal team and let's just figure out your content needs and we'll we'll still deliver that content at a fraction of what it would cost to bring somebody in-house. It'll be cheaper, it'll be higher quality, and it'll be off your plate. We'll worry about every
1: what people don't realize is that how expensive it is just to get the initial startup costs to have a, a good camera package even, right? To get a cinema camera these days, it costs you between 15 to 20,000. And that's just on the body, not to mention the lenses, all the lenses, the lights. The lights like, yeah, like people are looking at something like $50,000 uh, as a startup cost. So bringing in in-house people, you can't expect them to have all this gear necessarily. I feel like a lot of companies might be trying to think like that. It's like, oh, we'll hire someone in-house who already has the gear, but that's almost cheating, a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So, like you said, there's there's an opportunity there as well to kind of figure out how you can communicate the value that, you know, maybe not bring in someone uh, on salary in house, but bring in our team uh, on maybe retainer, and then we can create uh, content that has strategy over the years, and we'll help you grow because we're growing with you within the organization. So one last thing we wanted to kind of touch upon with you, Chris, Um, you've obviously had so much growth over the years, and uh, you've definitely set yourself up for the future. What are kind of like the next steps uh, for you in terms of scalability and growth, and what do you foresee as being one of the biggest hurdles for you?
2: That's the that's even bigger multi million dollar question. Who, I, I mean, you know, really narrowing down to who we do business with has been a big one. Like say again, saying no has been one of the best things we've, we've done because now we get to focus on the types of projects and the types of clients that we want to work with. And, you know, you only need to pick up one or two really good clients each year to really grow and then pick up the odd uh project that you really like. Um I mean, there's, there's three reasons why we would take a project and if all three, boxes are checked that's like a golden a golden thing that's if it pays well um if it's a a cool client and if we enjoy we like really like the subject matter we think this will be a great thing uh for our portfolio and usually there's two of those three boxes checked and we'll take something on but focusing on those those triple check mark clients that's that's a good growth strategy um and in terms of like how we think about pricing. Um, Do you guys know much about value based pricing? Uh, Can you, can you uh, explain that a bit? Yeah. yeah. So value based pricing would be, um, let's say company X comes to you and they need a video for their homepage and it's a big brand and they have, let's just say a hundred thousand people come to their website each month and uh, they convert 2% of those people into whatever, whatever is buy the product, book a book, a call, whatever. Um, and we know that a great video will increase those conversions dramatically. Let's say increases conversions by 10%. I mean, think about what that's worth to that client. It's worth potentially millions of dollars. And so again, it's harder to get those types of projects, but if they're going, if they stand to make millions of dollars off this initiative, it's not, Unforeseeable that they would um, invest, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into solving that problem because it's it's found money for them. And so, if you can be the ones to to solve those big problems at the top of a sales funnel, or like we do a lot of recruiting and tech companies climb over each other for tech talent. And if you can help them create uh, recruiting and retention content that helps them. Land those top engineers, for example. That's worth so much more than they're paying you, and they're happy to to do it because they spent X and they gained Y. So, so how do you figure that? How do you pitch them on that? Because it
0: seems that you would need a, a, a really good insight in, into their organization. So or they, they would, share it with you. Yeah, they you they need to share that information with you, but not just that. You also need to. Uh, I'm guessing to get to be able to get that type of knowledge, you would also have to hire another agency that specializes in gathering that type of information and then kind of merging, merging the two of them together. So what they have within their organization and then what the, the this other organization uh, research is in that industry.
2: Well, not necessarily. Right. I mean, if you get in front of the right decision makers that these companies uh, and you are seeing yourself as an advisor and you're putting yourself forward and you're asking these questions, it's like, well, I'm not shy about asking what their revenues are. And I know it's like, you know, maybe a little, I don't know what the word is, but you know, uh, it's a bold move, but you start to dig into these things. Okay. What are the revenues? What's the conversion rate? You, they start to see you as Again, the consultant, not just like, what do we want to make them feel? That comes later. First, we see, need to see what, what are the problems that need to be solved? What kind of numbers are we looking at here? You know, like what's... You need to increase conversions. Okay, well, what are your conversions now? What's working? What's not? And now again, to, to achieve success with this model, you do have to get in front of decision makers and it has to be fairly large problems to solve. But... Um, I mean, it's pretty inspiring. Just take a drive or a walk and just, you know, downtown, look at every single one of those windows in an office tower. That's a different company that's probably doing millions of dollars of revenue. And it's like that abundance theory. It's like every single one of those companies could benefit from a great piece of content, whether, you know, no matter what their goal is.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, as you mentioned, really leaning into the advisor and consultant role is definitely the key to do that because no matter what, you always, you always want to create a level of trust with the people that you work with. And you're not going to get that information if you haven't been able to build that trust uh, within the first meeting. Uh, if if you realize that you're unable to get some of that information, then clearly you're uh, that's a good indicator that maybe you haven't like maybe you've built a little bit of trust but not as much as you probably should have so that could be even a great indicator of how you were doing your uh, client relationship management even
2: yeah and like you, you know as i mentioned like we won't do a, a proposal or a quote until we've spoken to a decision maker and if you know they're looking for that quote and they they're saying no just give us a quote we'll say you know that's just sorry that's just not for us right,
0: right. Yeah. so how do, how do you get in front of that decision maker let's say uh, someone below that person gets in touch with you, do you say, okay, yes, um, here's a little bit about us. Let me find out a bit about you, but how do I talk? How do you, how do you, uh, navigate, navigate to the decision maker?
2: So that's, I mean, that's what a great producer will do. And that's why I surround myself with really strong people that again are just, they've never been salespeople. They're advisors by nature. And so they'll, they'll just right from that first question, start asking those questions and, they'll just let them know and saying, listen, um, we, I, she'll say, I'm not authorized to prepare a quote until we've had a conversation with a decision maker. We want to make sure that we're not wasting your time and also vice versa. Right. Um, you know, I wouldn't call it being elusive, but being, there's something powerful about being able to say no. Um, when we're I remember like and we've all been there like we'll say yes to everything yes no problem we can do anything we do everything and it kind of like diluted our it diluted us a little bit in their eyes just just kind of like naturally right people feel those things
0: it's it's because people hate rejection
1: yeah people don't like it and uh if you're telling them no to something very simple especially when traditionally they would be like give us a quote and most companies will bend over backwards to get that proposal to them whereas this time you're saying no we don't give proposals or quotes just like that we don't know what your needs are you know and um i I think what you're kind of uh, getting at is that we shouldn't be looking at this industry as an industry of selling we should look at it as an industry of consulting and advising uh clients because that is really the only way to help determine what their actual problems and needs are than just simply Oh, you need a video? I can do
2: that. Dude, 100%. Like video is the medium of how we're helping those them solve those problems, right? And, you know, we've got a lot of experience at knowing how to do that, how to make people feel something. But yeah, it's about getting getting to what is that problem and getting in front of a decision maker is critical. Because if you don't, you just send off bids blind. The, the only thing they're going to look at is the price. And if you're the highest or lowest price, you're thrown out automatically and then and then what are you competing on it's like it's out of your control but yeah. if you can get some time in front of that decision maker you may not win that project you may not win every project but you got face time with this person and people remember that right when you're just man, like asking people lots of questions about their business it just it gets them fired up about the project too right it's it's it makes them realize there's more to it than frames on a screen
1: Honestly, like I, I, think you couldn't have said it better, and I think that you've really shared a lot of great value, and uh, definitely given Dario and I a, a different perspective in yeah. terms of how to approach working uh, uh, with our clients and how to manage those relationships. And you know, before we kind of sign off, uh, is there anything that you would like to share or any other questions you want to ask us?
2: Well, I'm curious. You know, what what do you guys see? Uh for the future you know how how are you scaling your business now like what are some of the challenges you're facing like you know what's going on with you guys yeah i i think long term
0: what we want to do is uh grow our company to the point where we can add a marketing arm and then once we have that just keep growing it and then uh past that what we would want to do is get investors to be able to Get the funding to open up uh, internationally, so it's a very uh, very long term. It's a long term plan so but... the next five to ten years, and it's it's not uh, very detailed at the moment. But this is kind of the the steps we're we're uh, we're trying to develop right now. So we're in talks right now with a, a smaller boutique uh, marketing agency that we met through one of our clients, and uh, we're in talks with the with the person there right now to be able to um, collaborate t- collaborate and, and 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 just do. Um, uh, targeted sales. So we have that going on right now. In terms of challenges, I would say our biggest one, again, is sales. Uh, we, we're we trying to find some sort of consistent um, income each month, right? And I think the way we're going about it is on a, uh, not just a campaign-based approach, but also a retainer model. We've been hearing like, many responses to that so a lot of yeah. the other production companies we've spoken to they told us that they've tried retainers most of the time it hasn't worked we don't know if maybe it's because they targeted the wrong industry so that's something we're really trying to narrow down right now is like maybe let's try to target the the, the correct industry for retainer but we're also open to the idea that certain clients might just need campaign based approaches so sure it's like they don't need content every month they might need content for a certain campaign that'll last three months. And even if we get a couple of those a year, that's still pretty good income. I'm, I'm gonna be pretty happy with that. Yeah. Uh, I think the other, the other thing we're trying to do as well is grow a team. So right now we do have freelancers, but as we grow, we do wanna bring some sort of skeleton crew that is uh, uh, uh more of an employee that 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 are that are gonna we're trying to convert them from freelancers to employees that's the thing we're trying to do right now
1: getting those uh, editors as you mentioned those yeah. uh, full-timers are definitely one of the big steps that we want to first achieve um and, but in terms of like what's happening right now we're doing a lot of research something that we should have been doing over the years uh, but we're, we're kind of catching up on five, six, worth, uh, six years worth of research to kind of figure out exactly how we want to go forward with it. And, you know, I think the other most immediate thing that we're working on is obviously this podcast show because this is, uh, this is something that we see as a good way to help us maybe even see our own growth that we haven't seen necessarily maybe in other ways. So
0: Well, the purpose of the show is, is threefold. We're, we're trying to A, grow our network uh be learn from all the people we invite because i feel like with, with, with this show it's almost like you know people say you got to read like a business book a week right and that's like what warren buffett does is like read a book a week blah 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 blah. but i feel like with with this show it's almost like we're doing that each time we bring a guest on board right because every guest has a valuable perspective and and very fascinating insights into the industry and i guess that the third thing as well would be that we're getting our faces out there more we're creating a lot more branding so people know, will know not just Laps the company, but
2: also the people behind Laps. Yeah. What would you say? Like, what is your brand all about? What is Laps about? And what? And tell me, like, where's the name come from? You know, what's the origin story? Like, I did, I did watch last night actually your first episode of how you guys kind of got started, and it was just you know it's awesome because we all kind of started with a similar similar story. So. But where does where does the name come from, and where do you see your? <laughs> oh my your god! <laughs> so,
1: so the name was actually the very first idea. Dario wrote this like spec script when he was just kind of exploring, getting into the industry, and he called it "Lapse." And I don't I don't even remember how he came up with it. It was a very
0: it was a wacky dumb, it was script. a script. It was a dumb short film idea I had about uh, this this person that uh, meets his meets his double. So for for with some unforeseen Did just incident watch enemy and you made that script or? no this is before enemy <laughs> because enemy came out a couple of years later so De- dennis villanoe stole my idea i should sue him uh, but anyways yeah so he meets his double and it was supposed to be like i don't even know where i got that name from i'm like lap sounds about right I'm going to call it that. And then once we kind of when we were, when joined we're, forces, we're like, how do we come up with a name? And I was like, eh, Laps sounds good. That can work. And I said, no, I don't want our first name. I don't want the name to be based on the very first random
1: choice that was thrown in the air. <laughs> and so I, we did a lot of research on other names. Ones Most were taken that were good. And by the end of it, I just, we just decided, oh, there really is nothing else. We got to go with it. But the story behind Laps is also that You know, we all create content. You know, like the world just kind of goes by, and the content that we create, the videos, those are little lapses in time that we've kind of no, no, no. That's that. That's
0: not. That's not. No, that was what it was. We reverse engineered a meaning from the name, which that's what it was. Which was when when you watch really good content, um, you don't realize that time passes by. It's almost like there's a lapse in time. That's like the reverse engineered meaning of the name. (laughs) So we both have different, different relations to
2: the, to the name, I guess. Yeah. That's that's... the nature of the beast though, isn't it? Like, and again, you can find, I mean, look, you guys are finding meaning after you've already named it and that's, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. We tried to, with the pandemic, we're like, you know, maybe it's time since we are kind of restructuring things, maybe it's time to come up with a new name. Even though we sunk like eight hundred bucks into these beautiful mugs, into the <laughs> into the the branding mugs, you know, I was like, "Is rebranding really worth six hundred
1: dollars?" So we
0: actually tried to come up, and I think we had like ideas, but I I like some of them, but you know, I gotta convince the wife, and that always the that, wife... does, that doesn't always happen. So we're st- we're stuck with this one for now.
1: Well. I think I think going I think as just one thing we discussed is you always have to trust your gut and I feel like the initial gut of us going into this business with this name you know it's just kind of meant to be and yeah. let's continue moving forward with, well, it, people and like the with it. People like the name, like people love it.
0: Yeah, people love the name. Everyone we talked to are like, oh, it sounds really cool, and they especially like our logo. How it has the the play button on the P? They they love that, and I was like, I gotta give a shout out to Alan Boning for uh, creating our logo. I know we
1: didn't <laughs> even know how to what to make it look different but he did that back
0: in uh, 2014 for us so yeah But yeah in terms of uh our our brand though we we actually did figure out our mission and vision statement finally uh, I know this is probably gonna air like a month or two after um maybe it will have, will have changed by then yeah you yeah, yeah, know because but... it always is evolving too but yeah but right now we have it as uh, we build trusting relationships. Hold on. Oh, my God. Oh, Hold he's, he's on. <laughs> this it. is the first time I'm actually saying it a lot. Where's the thing? <laughs> Hold on. It's it's good. I, I'm actually really proud of it. Let me just pull it out. It's on the website. It's on the website, yeah, but let me just the, get it here. Uh, okay. We're going to have to cut some of this part out where he's no. no I, his phone. <laughs> well, it's fine. It's fine. So right now we have it as at LAPS, we build trusting relationships that transform creativity into tangible solutions with societal impact.
2: Fantastic. So everything you stand for, but also what the client gets, right? Fantastic. Nicely done. I'm always curious, like what, uh, the favorite you're, I have two questions, actually your first paid gig, but I'm more so interested in what's the favorite thing you've ever made. And why? I checked out a bunch of your stuff last night. I really love that wingsuit doc. I thought that was just really well made and like great story. And a, again, a great subject. But I'm curious uh, from, from your perspective, what was your favorite and why?
1: For me, that that project was uh, was probably my, my all-time favorite because I feel like that was one where it was our first branded doc as a company that we put together. A lot of like Uh, heart and soul went into it and we're we're just really proud of it and the one unfortunate thing that happened like that video kind of became an an immortalization of of uh, Angelo because he actually passed away a year ago wingsuiting and when we found out it just kind of hit us because we're like oh man like like this this is the first time we like worked with a subject that you know we really cared about and we really connected well with and you know it was
0: just it it hit us hard it's a shame because he was such a cool guy like just a just a positive upbeat person and um yeah like rest in peace rest in peace and you know he he was living on the edge
2: like it was clear right like just an extreme dude for sure
1: I mean, like, with with extreme sports like that, the, the, the ironic thing was that he was trying to make the sport safer for a lot of people, and that's what he was trying to do. With, and that's what we were trying to show with the documentary. And it shows that even those people who are trying to be as safe as possible, sometimes, it, you know, life happens, things happen, and then, you know, they just, like, c'est la vie. But, yeah, it, you know, just to kind of circle back to your question, that was probably our, our uh, one of our most... Um, exciting projects that we worked with that we're really proud of uh, in terms of the very first paid gigs um, they actually came when we were doing freelance Dario's technically first paid gig was with me when we were when it was still just me freelancing and uh, which one was it the, I think it's the,
0: the fashion show the
1: fashion show yeah, yeah he was that was when he first came on as, uh, as a second camera Um, for me, the very first project that I got paid for was, um, this student run organization at Ryerson. Uh, and at the time it seemed like so much money to me. I think I, 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 I got like 1600 to do like five videos throughout the year. And when that's like maybe your third or fourth project, that's a big deal. Like back then I'm like, Oh my God, 1600. Whereas now it's like. You could barely even get a good you were in the
0: industry because now we can't charge more than 1600. That's it. That's it. We've we've hit our cap.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I love a good origin story. I think like when you tell your story, it's important to always have three things, right? Your origin story, your aha moment, and some quantifiables. And having all those three elements when you're talking to somebody or a room full of people um that should satisfy everybody in the room right the creative people the spreadsheet people and then the decision makers and so yeah just always kind of consider having those three things in your storytelling and you'll tend to be successful chris uh thank you so much for taking the time to talk
0: to us today like you're the answers you had were, were so insightful like it's yeah. such a fresh perspective it's actually making us rethink the way we're running as well like because yeah. again you mentioned consulting and, and it's such an important thing to think about like i don't think we thought it's about the mindset yeah i think we, we kind of were doing it in a way but we've never really saw it as we are consultants put it so, into words really yeah so it, it's it's been really helpful having you here um and, and, and yeah <laughs> yeah we
1: look forward. we definitely look forward to chatting again in the future and hopefully even collaborating and working on a project together
2: That'd be fantastic. Yeah. We'd love to work with you guys. Uh, and yeah, this has been a lot of fun and, uh, yeah, I mean, the more you talk about your own business, the more you think about it and the more you readapt. and, uh, getting in the room with a bunch of smart guys, that's, that's always a win, right? Yeah. We hope yeah. you took, we, we hope you took something away as well. You know, however small it
0: might yeah. be, I, but I know our audience for sure is, is definitely going to see the value in this conversation. So yeah, hopefully yeah, they no, even fin- get something out of it. It's
2: adamative. a fantastic show and I really enjoyed talking with you guys as well and yeah we'll, we'll continue the conversation you know like uh that's what it's all about mm-hmm. amazing <laughs>
1: chris thank you so
2: much thanks and
1: uh
2: cheers
0: thank you for tuning into the creatives grab coffee podcast you can find us on spotify youtube instagram and linkedin let us know if there are any topics you would like for us to cover in future episodes you can reach out to us at creatives at gmail.com Thank mm-hmm. you.